This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the first day of August, 2023. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. How is your Tuesday morning going? As for me, I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. That alarm clock went off, and I didn't want to move. Oh, oh, it was a rough morning. So I'm on my third cup of coffee, about halfway through it, which means I may pause at some point during today's episode to refill my coffee cup. <laughs> we will see uh, how that goes. But boy, I just and I went to bed early last night too. I was I was in bed by nine o'clock, and uh, sitting and and uh, reading one of my commentaries on Deuteronomy, just preparing my head for this morning. Which reminds me, I need to grab my Bible. Normally, I am much more organized. Bible, <laughs> there we go. Now slide the keyboard off the desk so I got room for the Bible and flip it open to Deuteronomy chapter 13, which is where we are today. All right, there we go. Now we're ready. I had the notes on the iPad, but I didn't have my Bible in front of me. Gotta have your Bible in front of you. I hope you have your Bible in front of me because we do have our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. We are looking at uh, chapter 13, verses 12 through 18 today. That is, of course, after prayers from the Book of Common Prayer and a reading from John MacArthur's, excuse me, daily readings from the life of Christ. So that is our program this morning, uh, as it is every Tuesday, barring weird things. And yesterday, and I failed to mention it, Yesterday was Adam and Caitlin's second anniversary. So, happy anniversary, Adam and Caitlin. Um, if, if you know, you know. <laughs> and there's, that's all i got to say. <laughs> all right. Let us begin as, with our prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. 
Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Our devotional today is entitled, The Evil of Saying, You Fool. Whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Matthew 5, c Dr. MacArthur writes, No one wants to be called a fool, and on the other side of the coin, no one should fix that label on someone else. That's especially true when we realize that the word in this verse translated fool is from the Greek word from which we get moron. The word also denotes one who is stupid or dull. Greek literature sometimes used it to refer to a godless or obstinate person. It was perhaps parallel to a Hebrew word that means to rebel against. Twice the psalmist tells us the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 53, 1, you know, the cross-reference to Psalm 10, 4. The book of Proverbs contains many negative references and warnings to fools. 1, 7, 10, 8, 10, 10, 14, 9. Jesus used a related but less severe term when he reprimanded the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Luke twenty four twenty five. Because of these and other testimonies in God's word, we know people engage in foolish thoughts and actions. Therefore, it is not wrong for us to warn or rebuke someone who is acting or speaking foolishly and clearly opposing God's will. In fact, we are supposed to take this action. The Lord is warning us here, however, that it is a sin to slanderously call someone a fool out of personal anger or hatred. Maliciously calling another a fool is, again, equivalent to murder and worthy of eternal punishment in hell, if not repented of. Ask yourself, most of our slanderous remarks are not made to others' faces, but rather behind their backs. What guiding principles can you set in place to guard yourself from being ugly and unkind to others, even when speaking about them in private conversation? Good word this morning from Dr. MacArthur. All right, now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your Holy Word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, we are looking at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 18. So we are at the end of the chapter. Um, a little bit of review. Chapter 12 gave us a lot of warnings. Actually, you know, it warned Israel against following after 
the Canaanite gods. They were told to destroy the high places, cut down the Asherah poles, and do all of that stuff before, you know, and, and not to worship God in these places where the pagans had worshipped their false gods. That's all in chapter 12. Um, there's also, you know, don't eat blood. There's there's other restrictions there, but it's all about don't don't worship God the way the pagans worked worship their gods, and don't worship the pagan gods, and cut down and destroy the pagan places of worship in the land that God is giving you, referring to Israel. Then chapter thirteen gives us these three case studies. Two of them we've already looked at. These are case studies of what to do if and when someone in Israel encourages the worship of the Canaanite gods. Or, in the case today, actually worships the Canaanite gods. The, the first two scenarios, verses 1 through 5, is false prophets and teachers. Um, you know, if a prophet or a dreamer of dream arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and that sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us walk after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your God is testing you to find out if you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to drive you away, to drive you from the way in which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. So false prophets or teachers, dreamers of dreams, it's a, it's a, that's a term for a prophet, um, you know, get prophetic dreams. They predict the future and it comes true, but they tell you to follow a false, follow a false God, abandon Yahweh and follow after a false God. It says to put them to death. So it's dealing with those who are encouraging Israelites to follow after false gods. The second scenario, verses 6 to 11, which we looked at on Wednesday of last week, is family members and friends who come to you and encourage you to worship false gods. That is something that, that you are to be guarded against. And again, they are to be put to death. Um, because this is a serious crime. And, and this was a, a serious crime in Israel. It's, in all actuality, a serious crime everywhere. Um, but it is not something we are commanded to do in the New Testament. So this was a command given to Israel, the nation of Israel, which was ruled directly by God's law. This was not not a command that we should be carrying out in Boston or in uh, Butte, Montana. This was for Israel there and then. Um, and it does say very specifically, this is in the land that God has given you. But there are principles here. You know, if you 
have, you know, there, there's a, there is a, a line that needs to be drawn between the believer and the unbeliever. And there are things you cannot do. And there are things you cannot participate in as a believer with unbelievers. So being aware of that and, and, and setting those boundaries is very important. Um, but those first two cases were people encouraging Israelites to worship other gods, either publicly in the case of these false prophets and dreamers of dreams, or in secret in the case of, you know, the friend or the family member where it's, you know, they're, they're, uh, a much more personal interaction. Um, those, those cases were dealing with the false teachers. What do you do with those who actually follow after the false gods? Those who listen to the false teachers and listen to the family members and end up going after the false gods. What is the remedy there? And that's verses 12 through 18. If you hear in one of your cities, which Yahweh your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some vile men have gone out from among you and have driven the inhabitants of their city astray, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known, then you shall inquire and search out and ask thoroughly, Behold, if it is true, and the matter is confirmed, and this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, devoting it to destruction, and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Then you shall gather all its spoil into the middle of its open square, and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh your God, and it shall be a ruin forever. It shall never be rebuilt. Now nothing from nothing from that which is devoted to destruction shall cling to your hand, in order that Yahweh may turn from his burning anger and grant compassion to you, and show compassion to you, and make you multiply, just as he has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, keeping all his commandments, which I am commanding you today, and doing what is right in the sight of Yahweh your God. So that is the passage we're looking at today. This is a city that has followed after these false gods at the urging of false teachers. It says, If you hear in one of your cities, which Yahweh your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some vile men have gone out from among you and have driven the inhabitants of their city astray, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, whom you have not known. If you hear, we need to understand that information passed much more slowly in ancient times than we are used to with modern communication. I say, you know, information moved at the speed of sandal, <laughs> right? Um, and people didn't travel as much. So, a situation could arise at a town or a village and it would be a while before word of it would get out 
as you know somebody was passing through or or somebody traveled to or from that village and word got out of what was going on there but it was not you know they didn't have you know a national print media let alone television or radio and even less the internet and twitter and everything that we have i often think about that when I'm listening to the news and I hear of, you know, some volcano erupting in some South Sea island or, you know, a, a severe weather event in Asia or something, you know, that a that hundred years ago, it would be months before I would hear about that if I did. Even, even tornadoes and hurricanes in the Midwest, you know, tornadoes in the Midwest and hurricanes on the Gulf Coast. I may not hear about that here in Montana for months or years um, prior to, you know, newspapers. Um, you don't have to go back very far. Um, just think about the colonial America. They got news from England when ships came. And, and you know, there were ships going back and forth between England and North America, the English colonies, but it wasn't daily. <laughs> and by the time a ship got here, any news they brought was weeks old anyway. So you didn't have up-to-date, second-by-second communication in the ancient world. And so this is saying, if you hear, if it reaches your ears, that a city or town, one of the cities that God has given you, um, which is, you know, referring to the Canaanite cities, as it, it earlier it promised you're going to live in houses you didn't build and, and harvest from vineyards you didn't plant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because he was giving them the, the, the land of Canaan, including its infrastructure, so, you know, these cities that God's going to give you, so it is a Canaanite city. You've heard that they've, they've uh, led the city astray, saying, let us go and serve other gods. Now, interesting thing about those who, who have led them astray, it says, some vile men have gone out from among you and driven the inhabitants of their city astray. So it's saying these are Israelites, they've gone out from among you, it's not saying they came from another city. He's saying that they, they were Israelites. They are of the nation of Israel. And they have, because it, it says they've driven the inhabitants of their city. So we're, we're talking about local people. It says, let us go and serve other gods. The, the word there, some vile men, literally is sons of worthlessness. Troublemakers, good for nothings. Um rabble-rousers. Um, they're up to no good. Now, the Hebrew word for worthless is Belial and is used in 2 Corinthians 6.15 of Satan. 2 Corinthians 6.14 and 15, this can be a familiar passage to you. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? 
or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Uh, the note in the MacArthur Study Bible in, in 2 Corinthians there says that Belial is an ancient name for Satan, the utterly worthless one. So in the, in the Hebrew, in Deuteronomy, it says sons of Belial. So this could be referring to the worthless character of the men, or it could be referring to the satanic origin of their actions. I think either one works. Um, so, you know, sons of Belial, certain vile, was it some vile men have gone out. So it's, you know, it's, it's more than, you know, it's good for nothings, worthless troublemakers. Um, and ultimately, the origins of their actions is satanic. Um, I, I remember John MacArthur saying a long time ago, and I, I, it was one of those things that stuck with me because it made so much sense. And he had all the scripture to back it up, which I don't have up at the top of my head. <laughs> but he, he said, you know, Satan, who is not omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent, he, he, he hasn't, he does not have all power. He is not all knowing, nor is he everywhere present. Satan is not God and he's not an evil counterpart to God. Satan is a created being with all the limitations of created beings. Now he's an angelic being. So his limitations are, you know, much different from a human's, <laughs> but he's not ever present. And even though he has a legion of demons at his command, they're not omniscient or omnipresent either. So Satan doesn't know everything, and Satan is not everywhere at once. Satan doesn't have time to tempt every individual human into sin. He doesn't have enough demons to tempt every individual human into sin. He concentrates on certain areas. And the areas that he tends to concentrate on and, and it is politics and religion. So any false religion, that's something Satan's going to be behind and pushing. Just as, you know, ungodly government is something he gets behind and pushes. And, and I mean, we see that in Daniel where he's got, you know, that there was a, a prince of Persia referring to an angel who is in some way behind the throne of Persia at the time of Daniel. Um, an angelic being. It was, it was a demon because he was opposed to an angel of God. So we know he wasn't a, a good angel. He was a fallen angel. Um, so, but, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that, Satan is after. So what tempts us to sin? It's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful private life. The, the vast majority of sin on earth is just the sinfulness of man. It does not require, you know, demonic pushing. Uh, um, it, it, you don't have to, the devil didn't make you do it. <laughs> it was your own dark heart sinful heart, sinful nature. Um, and as Romans 7 says, even 
even the believers struggle against the flesh. That's why we look forward to being delivered at the coming of Christ. Excuse me, I keep I've got hiccups. So, but these these sons of Belial are have led this town astray. Verse 14 says, Then you shall inquire and search out and ask thoroughly. Behold, if it is true and the matter is confirmed that this abomination has been done among you. So, don't just believe the rumors. Don't assume the rumors are true. Investigate. There's all sorts of scripture about this. Um, you know, um, the Proverbs tell us that, you know, one person seems right until another person comes and presents their case. This is why you need to be fair in your inquiries, fair in your judgments. You need to gather the facts before you take any action. And this is one of the evils of rumors because we have a tendency to believe what we've been told without checking it out. Um, I was reading a, uh, I don't remember the source, but it was a how to handle, um, it specifically was, you know, how should an elder handle a church member who comes to complain about the pastor? And the thing that, you know, he says, you immediately say, okay, let's go talk to him. And if they refuse to go with you, you say, well, I'm going to mention this to him and I am going to use your name. Because rumors and backbiting are often secret whispers, trying to stir up trouble. And the best way to deal with rumors is to pull them out into the light. Now, if it turns out to be true, then you deal with it. Most of the time it isn't. <laughs> um, and gosh, we see this in, in uh, I, was, I was reading an article about a politician. I don't remember which politician it was. Somebody, I think it's one of the Republicans running for president. Um, I know it wasn't DeSantis. It may have been Haley Bar, uh, the, uh, what's her name? Uh, anyway. One of the other candidates tells you how, much, how close attention I was paying. And the candidate said that a newspaperman who had not given them the time of day for, you know, the entire campaign suddenly calls them up and has obscure references to stuff that was reportedly written or said by the candidate years ago. And the candidate was like, I don't remember saying that, or I don't remember writing that. Can you give me the reference? Can you, can you tell me the page number of my book or what article it was? And the reporter couldn't do it because the reporter hadn't checked it out. The reporter had been given what they call opposition research, where one candidate uh, researches another candidate 
and so and then gives it to the press saying look what they said look what they did the reporter hadn't checked it out and it turned out that the candidate had never said or done these things that had been reported to the reporter the reporter had been lied to and had not checked it out so if you're given a reference you know look it up before you ask the the person you're talking to so it's it's important don't assume rumors are true check it out you know pull it out false stories and backbiting and stuff cannot survive being pulled out into the light and that's the best way to deal with it um I mean, it wasn't that long ago that one of our daily readings from the life of Christ was about, you know, spreading rumors is equivalent to murder because um, it kills somebody's character. And so check it out. Be, you know, be inquisitive. Don't, don't just accept what you're told, especially bad stuff, because very rarely are rumors uh, commendatory, <laughs> you know. Did you hear what he did? Why? He helped these people. You don't hear rumors like that. <laughs> you hear, did you hear what he did? He robbed that little old lady of her life savings. Whether he did or not, you know, you, you don't hear, you know, he paid that little old lady's hospital bills. Those aren't whispered. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, there may, I, I do know some people who do stuff like that, pay pay little old ladies hospital bills and they don't want anybody to know that's different than you know hiding bad stuff okay so you've heard the rumors you've checked it out you've heard that the city has turned against god what do you do since you've uh, it's uh, it, it is true and the matter has been confirmed that this abomination has been done among you. Now, remember, looking at the first part of chapter 13, how should the city have responded against those who were trying to lead them to follow other gods? They should have been confronted, and if they were truly leading, the, leading people to follow false gods, they should have been put to death. But that hadn't happened. The city didn't do that. The city went along with it. And now the, wor the word has reached the outer world, and it has been confirmed that this has indeed happened in this city. Verse 15, You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, devoting it to destruction, and all that is in it, and its cattle. It's a, literally livestock with the edge of the sword. They're to be put to death. Not only the people, but their livestock. And you shall gather all its spoil. This is all the, the stuff that's in the city. They're the material wealth of the city. After you have killed the people, you gather all the material wealth to the middle of the town square and you burn the city and everything in it. Burn it to the ground. And it's supposed to be a ruin forever. It's never to be rebuilt. This is supposed to be a reminder to future generations as they run, walk by this town. 
this former town that is just a smoldering ruin, obviously it wouldn't be smoldering after a while, but you know what I mean. It's a, a burnt, desolate former city should be left like that. And the people walking by in the future, or even the people that just hear about it, should know what is to be done to those who, refu who follow other gods instead of Yahweh in the land of Israel. It says it's a burnt offering to Yahweh. You sacrifice that city. This is the same punishment that was given to Jericho and to Ai and to some of the other cities when the conquest began. Some of the cities were supposed to be you know, cleaned out and lived in by the Israelites, but some of the cities, God said, that city is wholly devoted to destruction. You know, just destroy it and everything in it. And, so, and don't keep any of the stuff. <laughs> you know, that's a big thing. Now, nothing from that which is devoted to destruction shall cling to your hand. Don't keep any of the stuff. Oh, man, that's a really nice whatever it is. I'd hate to throw it in the city center and burn it. That would look really nice in my living room. That's a nice recliner. No, no. Everything is devoted to destruction. Don't let any of it cling to your hand. Don't give in to that temptation. In Joshua, we see that that temptation was given into. And as a result... Israel lost a battle. And when Joshua inquired of the Lord as to why they had lost the battle, the answer that God came back with is because there's sin in the camp. And God prophetically revealed to Joshua who it was who had sinned. And he and his family and his tents were devoted to destruction because they had disobeyed Yahweh. Same thing, just on a town scale. It says, uh, everything's to be a burnt offering to Yahweh in order that Yahweh may turn from his burning anger and grant compassion to you and show compassion to you and make you multiply just as he has sworn to your fathers. See, by, by doing this, Israel would be indicating that they were obeying God. And in obe obeying God, God would be pleased and God would be compassionate to them. By not doing this, and there's little indication that this was ever done in Israel. And as you know, Israel did go after the Canaanite gods and they did worship in all the high places and it didn't take long. Um... I mean, that's, it's all through the book of Judges. You have the book of Joshua talking about the, the conquest, and then you hit the book of Judges, and it's pagan idol worship and the judgment of God falling upon Israel time and time again throughout the book of Judges. So it didn't take them long. <laughs> they didn't listen. But there's, there's no indication that they ever took this sort of um, action. Indeed, when God came to Gideon, and this is early in the book of Judges, I think Gideon's what, chapter 6? Chapter 6, chapter 7? Let me see. Judges. 
Judges chapter. Yeah, Gideon is in chapter 6. So very early in the book of Judges, shortly after, you know, and shortly after, I mean, you've got stuff going on before that. It is chapter 6, and, and it's not a, you know, I don't know how long it is. I'd have to look to see what the time frame was, but, I mean, it's early in the book. It's one of the, the earlier incidents in the book, and it's when, you know, Midia was... Um, the Midianites were were oppressing Israel, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, you know, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. Gideon was in hiding because of the Midianites, and um, the first thing that God told Gideon to do was to destroy the altar of Baal in his town, and cut down the Asherah poles and offer a burnt offering using the wood of the Asherah poles, offer a burnt offering to Yahweh. So that was the, you know, well, according to Deuteronomy 13, that town that Gideon lived in should have been utterly destroyed because they were following the Canaanite gods. And that happened throughout Israel. So this was never done. It really wasn't. It was never done. At least that I can think of um, without, I mean, there may have been one or two instances, but there's nothing that is leaping to my mind that says, oh, yeah, they did it to this city or that city. Um, you know, because all of Israel followed after the Canaanite gods routinely um, it really it took the Babylonian captivity to purge that sort of idolatry from Israel you know oh wow maybe God was serious when he said don't do this when God says don't do something he's serious and we need to take that to heart alright let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles Creed I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. 
Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. Hope you have the best of days. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.